0: But today our message is about knowing God, and there is a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. One of the greatest artists in history was a man named Michelangelo. He lived in Italy during the Renaissance, and one of his most famous works was completing the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel in Rome. Uh, he painted that and finished it in 1512. And if you've ever seen pictures of it, the, the centerpiece of that painting, it covered the entire ceiling, but the centerpiece was God the Father reaching out his finger to touch Adam to give him life. You know, There was Adam reaching out and God reaching down. And yet when Michelangelo painted the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, he did not have a relationship with God. Now in those days, educated Europeans, they knew the Bible. They knew all about it. They were taught it in school. They understood the stories. They understood the characters. He was very very familiar with it. The Bible and its stories were the basis of many of his sculptures, many of his paintings. But he did not know God. He only knew about God. Later in life, Michelangelo turned from his sins. He committed his life to Jesus Christ. And just four years before he died, he created another sculpture. And this sculpture was a sculpture of Nicodemus and Jesus. And in that sculpture, the face of Nicodemus was carved as the face of Michelangelo. And so he identified with Nicodemus who came by night to... Learn about eternal life. And Michelangelo had learned about eternal life. After being saved, he wrote these words. He said, neither painting nor sculpting can any longer quiet my soul. Turn now to that divine love which on the cross to embrace us opened wide its arms. And so his life had been changed. It had been turned from being passionate about painting and sculpting, to being passionate about the one who loved him so much that he died for him. And so Michelangelo is a powerful example of the change that takes place when when someone goes from just knowing about God to experiencing a life-changing relationship of truly knowing God. Now, what is the evidence that someone knows God? Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 21. And there's a white page in the middle of your bulletin. You can take that out to follow along with these scriptures and the outline. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And so Jesus gives us some insight into what is not proof of knowing God. Simply saying that Jesus is Lord, calling him Lord, Lord, is not proof. Just the words that we say is not proof that we truly know God. Even doing supernatural things in Jesus' name is not evidence of knowing God. Many who assumed they knew God, Jesus says here, will discover on judgment day that they, they do not. Jesus goes on to say in verse 23, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so Jesus' judgment was of those who never knew him. You see, knowing God is a relationship. It's a relationship in which you know God and he knows you. It's a two-way relationship. And as we know God, God knows us. And so today we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2 to discover three proofs of knowing God. How do we know if a person knows God? How do we know if we know God? And these will help us to examine our own lives and the lives of those around us for the evidence of knowing God. So the first piece of evidence of knowing God is is obedience to God's commands. John writes in verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him, that is God. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so the first piece of evidence that a person truly knows God is that they obey his commands. Now, we must be careful to note that you don't know God by keeping his commands, but those who do know him will keep his commands. And there's a difference between those two things. There were many in John's day, there are many in our day, who say they know God, but their lives do not show that they are keeping his commands. And John is very straightforward here. Uh, He explains that such people aren't telling the truth. What they say and the evidence of their lives do not line up. In this case, knowing God actually means to follow Jesus. In fact, the term Christian, somebody calls themselves a Christian, literally means a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what the the term means. And so if you know God, you will obey God's commands. You'll not only follow Jesus' teaching and commands, you're going to live like Jesus. Verse 5, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so what does obedience to God's commands look like? Well, John here tells us that if we say we abide, if we say that we remain in Jesus, if we say that we are his followers, we ought to walk or live as he did. In other words, when people look at our lives, they should see the same kind of love that they saw in the life of Jesus. In any situation, our goal should be to talk, should be to act, to think as Jesus would. And so John is carefully telling us that Saying we have a relationship with God is not evidence of knowing God. The proof of knowing God is in our lifestyle. To obey God's commands is not only to live like Jesus, it's also to love other believers. Verse 9, John writes, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stubbly. And so if someone is really walking in God's light, if they truly know God, but they, or, or they say they're walking in God's light, but they hate another believer, they do not truly know God because the second example of obedience to God's commands, another proof of knowing God, is that you love other believers. To love other believers is to have fellowship or close relationship with them. We talked about that last Sunday. And so loving other believers in a church family is proof that a person truly knows God. A person who truly knows God wants to be around fellow believers to show his love for them and receive their love as well. So why is it important to understand that obedience to God's commands is evidence of knowing God? First of all, it's important so... We are not deceived about our own relationship with God. Many people are. As Jesus said in the verses at the beginning of our message, those who think they know him but really don't are in for a, a terrible shock on Judgment Day. Secondly, it's important for us to understand the evidence of knowing God so we can help others who may be deceived about their relationship with God. Again, we must be clear that obedience to God's commands does not save us. None of us can ever obey perfectly. What John is teaching us is that those who know God will obey his commands, will increasingly seek to follow Jesus Christ in our lives as we obey him. The second proof of knowing God is not loving the world. Verse 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Now, the world that's spoken of here does not refer to, as we have in our picture, our planet, a beautiful planet created by God. Uh, It's not speaking of the physical planet, that we love the planet. Uh, It doesn't defer directly to unbelievers, the term world uh, refers to a spiritual state of sin and rebellion against God that is, that is seen in our fallen world. Loving the things uh, that are, that are uh, in rebellion against God, things that tempt us to not walk with God. Notice in verse 16, John speaks of three temptations in the world. The temptation to sin with our bodies. There's all kinds of temptations to sin with our bodies. Temptation to sin with our eyes and our mind. And temptation to sin through pride. And so John puts the love of the world as a polar opposite to the love of God. If you truly love and know God, you're not going to love the world. If you love the world, you don't love God. And so how does not loving the world play out in our lives? Well, Rather than loving the world, we're going to pursue the eternal. Verse 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. We just spoke of three desires, John tells us, that are in the world. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So all the things that we're tempted by in the world are temporary. They're transient. They're going to pass away. Uh, You know, we're, we're tempted with pleasure, and that's going to pass away. We're tempted, we're tempted with uh, money, and that's going to pass away. We're tempted with pride or power, and, and that's going to pass away. None of those things are going to last forever. And so rather than loving the world, rather than pursuing those things in our lives, things of temporary value, we, we should, as we, if we truly know God, we are to pursue God's will. Because it says clearly that Those who do the will of God abide forever. If we do God's will by obeying his commands, we truly have eternal life. We truly know him, and we're going to be with him forever and ever. And so our vision, our focus in life must be on the eternal, not the passing things of the world. You see, everything around us is going to pass away. This building is not going to be here forever. This city isn't going to be here forever. Your car, your house, your job, the company you work for is not going to be forever. The only things that are going to be forever is, of course, God exists forever. And people... are going to be forever, either with God or away from God in eternity. And so the most important thing in life is to pursue that which is forever, which is God, and seek to have as many people as possible know Him, that they might have eternal life with Him rather than spend eternity apart from God in a terrible place called hell. And so the focus of a person who knows God is on the eternal. Another aspect of the world, we must beware of false teaching that is in the world. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have Continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Now, John here is speaking of being in the last hour. Was John mistaken? No, the last hour is really the last days. And that is the time from when Jesus rose from the dead until he returns again. And so we've been living in the last days for 2,000 plus years. We've been living in the last hour for 2,000 plus years. That's what he's saying. Jesus could come at any time. It's as if we're an hour away. That's the intensity. That's how we should be living our lives. And during that time of the last days, during this time of the last hour, there's going to be many antichrists or false teachers that will come. People that will work against God and his plan. They will fail but they will seek to deceive many. And those who love the world will follow after them and their false teaching. Because it's going to pull people away from God and into the desires of the world that we've already spoken of. These false teachers will love the world. They'll seek to deceive others into following them in their false teaching. Now, a very important point in these verses, where do these false teachers come from? It says they come from within the church. He's not talking about people of another religion that, you know, Hindus or Muslims or something. He's talking about people who come from within the church. They claim to know God. They speak with biblical language, but their message is false and dangerous. In fact, they may have at one point taught the truth. And now their message still may contain some aspects of the truth, but it's mixed in with falsehood to draw people away from God. And so the evidence of those who truly know God, they do not love the world, nor do they follow the false teachers who are around us, who seek to deceive us. Now we are seeing a a great increase in false teachers in our day and time. And many times these false teachers have taught the truth in the past, and yet over time they've turned from the truth and have begun to mix in falsehoods in their teaching. They themselves have been deceived, and now they begin to deceive others. And these false teachings appeal to worldly temptation, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride. One growing mark of false teachers today is they seek to appeal to every denomination. In fact, oftentimes to every religion. Teach something that uh, appeals to everyone. But there is no common ground between Christianity and other religions. Jesus said he was the only way. We must be very wary of non-denominational teachers or ministries that seek to appeal to every denomination. The, The differences between most denominations are not harmless diversity, but a result of false teaching that appeals to worldly desires. False teachers tend to overemphasize love and to minimize the necessity of repentance from sin. And so those who know God will reject false teaching. And the third proof of knowing God is being anointed with the Spirit. Verse 20, you have been anointed by the Holy One And you all have knowledge. And so believers who know God are anointed or filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. The Holy Spirit gives us knowledge of the truth so that we can guard against the deception that's around us. John writes in verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And so false teachers seek to deceive people, to lead them away from the truth of God's word. But those who know God, those who have the anointing of the spirit, we don't need to listen to those from outside who claim to have special knowledge. False teachers often claim new knowledge, new revelations, new insights. That is not based on Scripture. The point that John is making here is that the teaching from Scripture through the Spirit is all that we need. Those who seek special knowledge often end up being deceived by false teachers. And basically all of the cults today are based on some special knowledge. Some other book, some other revelation that is contrary to the Word of God that they have built that teaching, that religion upon. Finally, those who know God and are anointed by the Spirit will prepare for Jesus' return. Verse 28, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And so those who know God, those who abide in him, we look forward to the return of Christ. We prepare for it. It's the last hour. It could happen at any time. How can a believer prepare for Jesus' return? John tells us we must live lives that practice righteousness. God is righteous, and we must live holy lives so that we can have confidence and have nothing to be ashamed of when he comes. And so whether we're alive when Jesus returns or we meet him after we pass on, we must be prepared by practicing righteousness in our lifestyles. Those who abide in Christ in that way prove they have been born of God and truly know God. And so those who know God rely on three main things to make godly decisions, to avoid being deceived by false teaching. First of all, every decision Every belief that we have must be in keeping with the clear teaching of God's Word. We must check everything against God's Word. It must be properly interpreted. It's our our standard. Secondly, the anointing of the Holy Spirit will help us not only understand God's Word, but apply it to our specific situation. So we have the written Word of God. We have the Holy Spirit speaking to us. And finally, we receive godly counsel from those in authority over us who, who know God to keep us from deception either by false teachers or our own false thinking. And so as we learn to not make decisions, as we learn to not change our beliefs unless these three inputs line up, God's Word, the Holy Spirit speaking to us, and counsel from godly people we know that know God, and we have the proof of their lives, we will continue to grow in knowing God and following Jesus. So what is the evidence, again, that a person truly knows God is a follower of Jesus Christ? The first proof, they are living in obedience to God's commands as their lifestyle. The second proof is that they do not love the world, but rather they love God, and they love the family of God. People who say they love God, but never darken the door of a church, never have fellowship with other believers. What would John say about them? They don't know God. Something is very wrong in their lives. The third proof that a person knows God is that they listen to and learn from the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so not only are these three proofs evidence of knowing God, we can grow in each of these areas. We can certainly grow in knowing God's Word and applying it to our lives. We can grow in not loving the world and grow in our love for God and His family. We can grow in learning to listen to God through His Spirit, hearing Him speak to us, and putting that into practice in our lives. And as we grow in those areas, we're going to be protected from deception and we're going to more and more live for eternity, keeping our eyes on the future rather than the things that tempt us in our world today. And we will do our part to help others to know God as we know him. And so today, if you want to make sure that you know God, here's what the Bible says we must do. The three, three things that we talked about today that are proofs of, proofs of somebody knowing God is not how you get to know God, they're the fruit In the life of somebody who does know God. So how do we get to know God? First of all, we need to admit that we've sinned. We've done wrong things. We asked, we confessed those things to God and we asked for his forgiveness. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. That our sins might be forgiven. He rose from the dead three days later. And we entrust our lives to him. We put our faith in him and we commit to following him all the days of our lives. So I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads right now, and we're going to pray. If you're not sure that you know God, perhaps you made a commitment in the past and you want to renew that commitment, I'd encourage you to pray along with me. Say something like this, Father, today, I admit that I've sinned, and I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you come into my life. I put my faith and trust in Jesus. And I believe that he rose from the dead. I commit my life to following him. In Jesus' name I pray.